lives Let's travel the world together She can make it easy and in any kind of weather No TSA, no bad checks, no patting down She's talking from the skies and sending lots of feel-good sounds Oh, Betty, in the sky, have you heard her yet? She loves traveling, there's no doubt Betty and the Jets She's weird and wonderful Oh, Betty, she's a podcast queen She's wearing high heel shoes Got her wings on, too You know I've never seen a better stew Oh, Betty and the Jets Hello, and welcome to Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase. I'm Betty. I'm a flight attendant for a major airline, and I bring you stories from the flight attendants and the pilots and from traveling around the world. In this episode, we have stories about drunk priests, nightcaps, guinea pigs, jail, and a few buck-naked stories. Let's get on with the show. Years ago, just talking in the galley with one of our Japanese-speaking flight attendants, and she had come over from Japan, got hired by, uh, come over from Japan, got hired by Pan Am, spoke pretty good English, but, you know, as with so many right. things, the idioms are, are kind of missing. So she told me, she said this story about herself. She says, Chad, I never tell anybody this story before. She says, first flight, I'm flying down to Rio, and... I am alone in the cabin because the purser is on break. And passenger asked me, he say, can I have a nightcap? And she says, I go to galley. She said, I open everything. I look in every drawer. I look in every cot. I cannot find any nightcap. But it's okay because I know origami. So I take one of our tablecloths and I fold nightcap for him and take to him on tray. And he starts laughing and I don't know why. And it's not till morning when I ask person why he laugh at my nightcap. <laughs> she tells me a story. A friend of mine who's a flight attendant in Boston. This flight was supposed to go from Boston to, I think, West Palm or Orlando, somewhere down in Florida. Mechanical delay. The flight's running about five or six hours late. And she's telling me this story like several weeks after. When the flight finally leaves, it's probably about 10 o'clock, so they get going, and they're up in cruise. They've been, you know, at altitude for, I don't know, probably about half hour, 45 minutes, and Jenny's working. She's a purser up front, and Jenny's a southern North Carolina girl with a, with a, a nice drawl, just a sweet, loving girl, and, and she always wants to make everybody happy, and the flight's pretty quiet because most people have gone to sleep. And she's working up in first, and this big black lady comes bouncing up into first class, snatches open the curtain, and she goes, are you in charge here? And Jenny goes, well, well yes, ma'am, I, I am. How can I help you? She goes, well, you better come back here, and you better face this right now, because I can't stand it no more. And, and she goes, well, what, 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 what? She goes, well, it was bad enough when he was down on the floor, but now she's slipped around with her feet on the seats, and he's all over her kitty. She goes, okay. Right there, she goes, Jenny goes, okay. And they go marching back in there, and sure enough, about four or five rows back in, they're in full passion. And Jenny, Jenny goes, I, I'm going to fix this. And she goes, why? Well, she goes, hey, cut that out. 
and the back the backstory while during the mechanical they went to the bar sat next to each other struck up a conversation had probably had a probably a couple of dozen cocktails and then became best friends forever bffs yeah cut that out <laughs> I know you guys know I was nervous about uh, Tar, the first book in the Tar collection, my first book of fiction, came out. It's available on Amazon. And I was so worried. I didn't know if people would like it. You know, uh, people see me in a certain light. You know, I I didn't know. Uh, I was so worried. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, people have been really nice and people have liked it, which, oh my gosh, just warms my heart. I just want to thank a few people like Jenny Parkinson. On Twitter, she said, just finished Tar, a most entertaining read. Kevin Mackey of the Tipping the Odds podcast, and that's about all about traveling to Vegas, tipping the odds. He said, great story with many twists and turns. Can't wait for the next installment. Daredevil Diva said, I got to know what happens next. This is a fast page turner. Oh, thank you. Chris Robinson said, great first book, suspenseful, not predictable, and well-written. Looking forward to The Tar Maker. Uh, Game to Please, and that's from the website We Game to Please, which is a great website for Legos, said, I love this book. I got involved with all the characters and enjoyed the exotic locations. Can't wait for book two. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. <laughs> you don't know how much that means to me. Thank you so much for anyone who got it or reviewed it. Oh, thank you. Well, she was what, like 92? And, and all she would fly, and it made me think about it when you were talking about the Dallas Honolulu, because that's all she flew. And Norma lived in LaGrange, Texas, and LaGrange is about, eh, about 140 miles south of Dallas. Is she still alive? Nah, I don't think so. I, I know she's not working anymore, but um, I, I talked to some of the flight attendants, and basically, she was a frail little thing, but just the sweetest ever, but you had to, when they would put her in the back, and make her serve in between carts because you had to box her in. If you left her on the outside, she she'd go, no, she'd go, I need to go get another cup of coffee or another pot, and she would disappear. And you wouldn't find her until you got to Honolulu, and everybody got off, and there was a clump in the corner with a blanket over it, and that would be Norma. And 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 she was kind of like that. And But but God bless her heart, she 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 hung on to the job. And the, the funniest part about the whole story is, when she would land, you know, it was a red eye coming back. You'd land at six o'clock. She'd get on the bus, go out, get in her car, and she would drive home. And about half the time, she'd be too tired. And there was a, about a midway stop, some little town in South Texas that had an agreement, kind of like the old Mayberry RFD, where she'd just show up in the parking lot of the county jail, walk in, say hi to the sheriff, hop into a cell, grab the blanket and pillow, take a little nap. Well, yeah without closing and locking the door, but yeah. go and take a little nap and then finish the drive home. It's a glamorous and, life. And, and <laughs> living the dream. Way back when in Chicago when we had the TriStars. Yeah. Okay, we used, um, we used to fly LA a lot. So it, this was before stars had all their big jets and all this stuff. So we're doing the flight from LA to Atlanta, and Billy D. Williams gets on. Beautiful man, gorgeous. Handsome. Oh. Yes, handsome. Just you know, this was for our generation. Star Wars. Yeah. Okay. 
anyway, the coordinator that was on the flight just is like melting over him. Well, she noticed at one point that every time she made a PA, he would watch her. So she's reading off the entire menu, everything that we have to offer, every beverage, you know. So he'll keep watching her? So he'll keep staring at her. So anyway, she goes on, and so she starts the flight. Well, she would get hot during the flight, and this is when we had the wraparound smocks. So she would put on her wraparound smock but take her skirt off to stay cool. So we're coming in to land in Atlanta, and so she's standing in front of the cabin, and she's making her PA, and while she's doing it, she's undoing her apron. rips it off and is standing there in that pink turtleneck and her pantyhose and shoes. Bottomless. Bottomless. <laughs> Poor thing. It's a, sort of a topless <laughs> restaurant as a bottomless but like One of those things where it took her a second right. to realize what she had done. <laughs> She's still standing there. So finally she's like she went, she stayed in the cockpit for the rest of the trip. Right. She, she got Billy really D. Williams' attention. Yes, she did. This was kind of fun. I was working a flight. We're just like on working drinks on the ground on our way to Europe. And uh, this flight attendant, who I've, I've flown with uh, maybe once before, don't know her very well. And she says out of the blue, um, hey, do you know Betty in the sky? And I went, yeah. And then she said, are you Betty in the sky? (laughs) I'm like, yeah. (laughs) It's funny. I know this might seem odd to you guys, but I don't talk about it that much at work. And a lot of people don't know I do it. Uh, When I can, I ask people for stories. There'll be trips where I don't ask because, you know, there's just not time or it doesn't seem appropriate or people are cranky, (laughs) stuff like that. But um, she said a friend of hers named Johnny... Uh, he's a banker, uh, was always asking like, hey, do you know, I figure, I think she works for this company. I think she might live here. You know, can you ask around? So uh, <laughs> his friend Tammy found me. <laughs> okay, my very first flight ever. As a standby? As a flight attendant, I mean, as a non-rev back home for a football game. It was always nice to dress up at the football games at our fraternity. I put on my coat and tie. So then when I went back to the airport, I wore I wore blue jeans, uh, button-down shirt, back to Dallas. You know, well, I go and take my bags downstairs and I check everything because I had not really flown very much in my life anyway. So I checked everything at the gate, right downstairs. You know, with those now little you sky have caps. Jeans on. Yeah, I've got jeans on and a real nice outfit. I'm, I'm guessing where this is going. So, you know, anyway, I I I didn't remember them saying that you had to dress up. You know, non-revin. I just I thought. When they said it was necessary, I must have heard uh, it was a nicety to do it or something. Anyway, so I just I didn't think anything of it. Anyway, but I checked my all my bags, checked all my clothes, bags, everything. Right when I got to the outside, 
and they thought that was really weird. The sky caps kept saying, "Well, you know, do you want to keep something? We don't want to really. Do you really want to check everything?" I was like, "Yeah, absolutely. I'm so excited about going home." Anyway, so I checked it, went to the gate, and I was sitting at the gate. And so they called my name up to get my boarding pass, and I went up there and I thanks and everything. And anyway, I sat back down. Well, then this red coat comes over and says to me, are you, and uh, says my name. Um, and I was like, yes, sir. And, you know, and he said, well, can you come over here with me for a little bit? I need to talk to you. I was like, absolutely. Well, see, at that point, it was one of my first non-refs trips, first got hired. I thought he was going to give, like, congratulate me for being, <laughs> congratulations, welcome. To, and he goes, so then he, I mean, he, he did. He starts off, well, look, I, I pulled up your your uh, employee number and everything, and I see that you just got hired. Yeah, thank you. You know, and I, I thought it was building up to a congratulations. I'm, I was expecting and anyway, he goes, um, are you aware of dress the code. dress code for, and I was like, well, you know, I, and he said, but I noticed you non-revved in. I saw your history. You, you've non-revved from Dallas to Atlanta, and now you're, you're going back. And he said, well, how did you get on the plane there? And I said, oh, it's boarded, you know. <laughs> they, they, I mean, he, he you was. You had no idea what he was talking about. I had no idea what he was talking about. So anyway. And he said, I can't let you on with what you've got on. And I was like, well, why not? And then he said, well, how did you fly? You know, what were you dressed like? And I said, well, I had my coat and tie because I was going to my football game. And I was an alumni. I needed to dress up really nice, you know, going to a football game, coat, tie, and everything. And he said, well, you have to have a coat and tie to non-rev. And I said, like, oh, my gosh. You know, anyway, it got I got really nervous about it. And, he, and I said, well, am I going to get in trouble with this right. and he said well you you know we just don't non-rev like this you know you just don't do it and whatever and I said look I've got you know I've got all my bags checked can you go get my bags underneath you know and it was on the L-1011 and he said and he said no we've already they've already right. boarded everything and, we're, and anyway and I said can I go buy a suit at the, here at the airport and he said we're about to leave you know he said and and he said listen he said, now, I'm in a really, really good mood. Is you he going to give you his pants? No. He said, I'm in a really, good, really, really good mood. And he said, um, and you're, he said, I've heard your story, and no one can make up as country bumpkin story as you've just told me. He said, there's, there's no way that this, you are lying about anything that you, and he said, I really believe you. And he said, I'm in such a good mood, I'm going to let you go. Aww. So anyway, he said, but you're not, I'm going to act like you're not a non-rev. You're going to act okay, like a passenger, that. blah, blah, blah. So he escorted me down, okay. There weren't, the, and the plane going back to Dallas was just actually moving equipment. There was not hardly anybody on the plane. It was just, this, he comes, brings me on the plane. I'm sitting in the very back of D-Zone. If you're being escorted down to uh, the plane, he puts me on the plane, puts a um, blanket? blanket over my <laughs> offensive jeans. My jeans, puts a blanket over my top, <laughs> and here it is, August. This was, you know, September 1st. It was 100 degrees outside. He puts blankets all over me, puts me in the center of D zone, two Hi, rows behind the. Oh, and they look like a mummy. Blanket. I'm sweating like so crazy. I'm, I can't. 
I'm too scared to talk to them, too scared to do anything. Pan Am, I love Pan Am. It was Pan Am, back in the Pan Am days. So we had a little flight attendant from Miami, and she was about five foot nothing, and she used to have platinum blonde hair. She wore blue eye eyeshadow, bright pink lipstick, and she always seemed to have a note for orthopedic shoes. So, okay, so she wore so, orthopedic so, shoes. Yeah, little, usually white orthopedic shoes. And, white orthopedic shoes? Uh, yes. And Zoe was very, very buxom. And so she was short and very buxom, but a small little waist built kind of like Dolly. One day, Zoe, somebody had lost something underneath one of the seats. And Zoe's down on her hands and knees with her head like all the way underneath the seat in front of her. And somebody comes around the corner and says, Zoe, Zoe, what are you doing? She says, looking for the glamour in this goddamn job. What do you think I'm doing? <laughs> Thank any of you when you were going to buy stuff on Amazon and, you know, they have everything. You were so kind. It went to my website, BettyInTheSky.com. Click through. It doesn't cost you anymore. It supports the show. You can even bookmark it. Um, this month, 23 people ordered tar through my Amazon link. That was so nice of you. And uh, some other things people ordered was uh, Russian in 10 minutes a day, Uncle John's bathroom reader, page-a-day calendar, and Al Franken, Giant of the Senate. So if you're going to buy something on Amazon, maybe my book, Tar, <laughs> please consider going through my website, BettyInTheSky.com. It doesn't cost you any more. supports the show. Thank you so, so much. I love you guys. I was flying with a friend, a friend of mine from um, Tokyo back to New York, flight 18, 747, completely full. I was working coach, and all of D-Zone was nothing but Chinese from Hong Kong. The meal had been put down, and the Chinese are, you know, food in front of them, they're eating, 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 and I get to the very almost last row of D-Zone, and there's this woman and her husband in the very center seats, and they're hailing me with their hands like this, and when they smile, both of them have more gold in their mouth than they do in Fort Knox. <laughs> Next thing I know, the... The woman's going like Wait, this, like a chicken, like a chicken, trying like flapping her arms, and I can't understand what the meaning is because they don't speak a word of English. And the husband, she no, the husband went behind his wife, put his arms in her arm underneath her arms, and tried to lift her. And I went, "Oh, you want me to lift her?" I thought, "Is she?" I didn't know not, anything. Not ambulatory, like yeah, her and paralyzed. we didn't. It wasn't on the paperwork. So he pulls out a bedpan. Oh. He pulls out a bedpan, and he wants me to lift her so he can slip the oh. bedpan underneath her and a pink roll of toilet paper. Pink? Pink. <laughs> Shocking pink. Did you do any of this? She couldn't walk. We had no choice. She did her, and he offered me the bedpan. I said, no, you will walk yes. to the bathroom and take care of it. Wow. Now, that's a story. That's a story. I, 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 I can't make it one. up. <laughs> This next story comes from Ann Davis. She works for a really good company that uh, combines volunteering with traveling. It's called Venture with Impact. You can find that at venturewithimpact.org. Some people may know this, but in Peru, a popular cuisine, especially in more rural areas, 
is kui. What is kui? Some of you may have had one as a pet growing up. It's guinea pig. Just like chickens, Peruvians raise guinea pigs in pens in their backyard, or even inside of their houses. Earlier this year, during one of our programs in Trujillo, Peru, one of our partner organizations invited us to a Cuy event. The woman that this NGO serves lives in a rural community outside of Trujillo, where access to education, basic health care, and even food and water is limited. Our partner, Save the Moche, works with the woman to provide them with business and handicraft training so that they can create and sell their own products in local areas and abroad. Venture with Impact participants with backgrounds in marketing, finance, photography, and web design have worked with these women to assist in developing their businesses. To gain a better understanding of the Peruvians in which we were working with and to get a taste of local culture, Ventures were asked to slaughter and skin the guinea pigs. Upon arrival to the village, we approached a small pen where the guinea pigs awaited us. A few brave volunteers stepped forward. The woman from the village handed them a knife. The kui was held up by the neck as the participants started with the knife on the throat. But they quickly learned of the tool's dullness. Uncomfortable facial expressions and squirming ensued. It was taking a little longer than expected to put the little fellow out of its misery. So after some moments of uncomfortable anticipation, one of the women came up from behind and snap, cracked the neck with the knife. Whew, it was done. As they skinned, cleaned, and prepared the animal, venturers bonded with these women who, although are from a different country, culture, and background, in the end are not too different from ourselves. After the first bite of kui, what was the verdict? Tastes like chicken. I had this curious incident on a flight recently. Um, we're in the air going to Europe, and, and there's a, a man comes back to the galley, and he's got this white hair. Uh, I tend to not try to comment on people's looks. You know, we're all so different. I like to celebrate diversity. This guy... He looked like a cartoon character. He looked like the guy. I don't know if you remember that that um, Christmas cartoon, uh, Year Without a Santa Claus. And, uh, you know, it's where they had the um, snowmeister and that kind of thing. Well, this guy looked like the guy who narrates A Year Without a Santa Claus. He's got this white hair, kind of goes up to a point in, in, the, in the middle with like a round face. And it turns out he's a priest. Uh, and he's a drunk priest. <laughs> He's a lecherous priest. <laughs> I'm not sure why he was telling us he was a priest. Uh, maybe because he had too much to drink. So anyway, he tries to French kiss this pretty flight attendant. I mean, she handled it so well because I, ah, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> Later on, he comes back to the gal and he apologized. Uh, he apologized. He said he had too much to drink. And um, then he, he, he puts his arms out like he wanted to hug me. And I'm thinking, no, uh, oh, no, I already saw you try to French kiss <laughs> the other flight attendant. I'm not going in for a hug. And I did. I just kind of said, oh, no, thanks. Um, trying not to be rude. But then he, he says, uh, bless you. <laughs> hey, cut that out. <laughs> I can't believe it.
Yes, this was during the days of the 707, and uh, the flight attendant uh, was based in Seattle, and she had quite the reputation. She was kind of funny and very, well, she was funny and uh, didn't really give a hoot about anything. She was working first class with the purser on the 707, and all of a sudden she looked at the purser and said, I'm going to go up to the cockpit. Uh, it's too hot. i got to take off my pantyhose. She's going to take off her pantyhose? She's going to take off her pantyhose. And in those days, we had a cockpit key. You could just walk in and walk right. out of the cockpit without any problem. Didn't have to call. So she goes up, opens the door, and of course, they're flying the airplane. And she forgets that the door opens into the uh, cabin, and it opens, but she's facing the nose of the aircraft. She's facing out. She's facing out, and of course, she hikes up her skirt. And <laughs> bends over. Bends over, and they've got a beaver shot you would not believe <laughs> in first class and the captain looked over and he says what the hell are you doing and like he said all these guys are like this in first class walking and that's the story guys <laughs> are staying in san francisco I said okay perfect we get off the the plane we're super tired really really tired the van is not there we're waiting for the van 35 minutes 45 minutes finally the guy pops up and says okay guys let's go uh, put your bags here blah 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 we're going to San Jose we're like no we're not going to San Jose we're we're staying here like oh they didn't tell you guys yeah there's no hotels here so I'm gonna drive you to San Jose that's where your hotel is we get to San Jose and the first thing I noticed this was a really nice hotel and I'm like okay great so I take my room key go to my room and as soon as I get into the room there's this electrical noise all over the room and I'm like okay crap I need to sleep I need to be able to sleep what was the noise it was electrical and it was all around the room so I called downstairs and I'm like hey I'm gonna need someone to come up here my there's something in my room there's a noise it's electrical definitely and I'm not gonna be able to sleep so they send a maintenance guy up he comes in, he listens to it, and he says, you know, I can't, I don't know what this is, but it's okay. Room 412 is open, so here, here's the key. Just go ahead and go to 412. I'll take care of this. I said, okay. I go to 412, pop my head in. It's peaceful and nice. I said, okay, perfect. So I go in with my bags and everything. As I sat on the bed, zzzz, <laughs> I'm like, crap. Maybe it's you. Am I going crazy? Oh my God, I need to sleep. So I go downstairs. And there's the, the, and there's the two, the, the guy and the girl. And so I said, I said, um, yes. So I've changed rooms already, but I got to the other room and it's still, there's, there's an electrical noise in the room and it's really annoying. Do you want to come with me? Because I, I feel like I'm going crazy. This is the second room. Oh no, it's fine. You can go ahead and go to room um, A12. Is on the eighth floor, all the way on the other side of the building. So you should be okay. Here's your key. At this point, I have three keys. I go to the room. I pop my head in. It's peaceful and it's nice. Said perfect. I go in and as I start taking off my uniform, now I'm like, okay, this is crazy. This is freaking crazy. So I said. So I said, okay, I need to, I need to leave. So I, I grab my bag, get into the elevator. As I get into the elevator, and the elevator, and I'm like, oh my freaking God. So I, as I'm stepping out of the elevator, the maintenance guy is there coming out of the, the fourth floor. 
And I'm like, hey, something's wrong. Something is really wrong. I just changed rooms to the one you gave me, and then I went to the eighth floor, and it's just, it's really, really bad. And he says, you know what? I know exactly what this is. They're working on the elevators right now, and the machinery they're using oh. has a lot of electricity. So this is it, and this is why you can, can you feel it in this elevator shaft? And I'm like, yeah, I can hear it. He says, yeah, I'm sorry, it's just, it's just what it is. And I said, I said, no, this is not what it is. I need to go to sleep, I need to rest. What am I gonna do? Well, let me come with you. We have another room that's open, and this is a disabled room, but you should be okay. So I said, okay. So we get to the room, and he says, leave your stuff outside, because I want you to check the room first. Leave my stuff outside. We went in, we stood in there together for like five seconds. We're listening, nothing's happening. I said, okay, perfect, this is it. This is the room. I take my bag, and as I take my bag and move the bag, there's a variation in the, in the noise. And I'm like, what the hell? I open my, I open my bag. It's in your bag. I open my bag and my toothbrush has been on this whole time. Freaking toothbrush. It was in the, in the freaking bag. The whole time. So I finished the audiobook for Tar. Boy, that was a giant project. I kind of went into it thinking, uh, sure, I can do this. You know, I record things and I edit audio. You know, how hard could it be? But boy, it was a lot harder than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> um, you know, I wasn't sure what to do with the different voices. I wasn't sure what to do. Like if it says she laughed, should I laugh or should I say she laughed? Like I basically figured it out as I went and I got much better at it towards the end. Some things that were funny about the whole process is I record the podcast in my closet because it has better acoustics and I have a restaurant in my front yard. So I have to shut the door to the closet. But for the podcast, uh, I recorded at different times, like if I have a story, different times during the month. So I'm not spending, you know, vast amount of time in my closet. But with this audiobook, <laughs> I had to spend massive quantities of time in my closet and it's summer and it's hot and with there's no air conditioning vent and I can't put a fan because that would mess up the audio so um, it doesn't take but five minutes until the closet gets really hot so <laughs> I got in the habit of um, recording the audiobook in my bra and panties <laughs> in the closet and I was thinking this is quite odd and then also, uh, I'm learning so much from this whole process with the fiction. Um, I found mistakes, mainly punctuation mistakes in TAR, because with the audiobook, uh, I found I had read it a few times, you know, looking for errors. But when you're reading it, you know what it's supposed to say. But when you're reading it out loud, then you can actually find, oh, shoot, I didn't put an and there, or that needed another quotation mark, things like that. So maybe the next book, I'll do the audiobook before I put out the ebook. Anyway, here's the thing. The audiobook is done. I'm so excited. I submitted it, and I thought it was going to be like the self-publishing, where it just like, poof, it's there. There it is on Amazon. You know, it's almost instantaneous. Woohoo! And the audiobook, not so much. So it, uh, it it's submitted, and it's going to be in iTunes, Audible, and Amazon. But it says each one, each distributor, uh, it can take up to a week or 60 days. So I guess it's not out. <laughs> I'll keep you updated. I'll let you know when Tar, the audiobook, is out. 
and we were in Frankfurt. Remember when we stayed at the old Hilton yeah. on the river? Oh, we were in the new side. Well, we were on the same side, and she was she was staying in a room like a couple doors down from me. And I guess somebody had come up and knocked on her door, and she was in the room, but she was not dressed. Yeah. I mean, she had underwear on, panties, and that was it. Right. Well, she didn't see who, I mean, she went to the door and answered, and nobody was there, and she had her windows open, but she stepped outside. <laughs> to see who was there. To see who it was, to kind of look around the corner. What she did, the door slammed. Yeah. So here she is standing on the new side in just her panties. And Did she knock on your door? Uh huh. <laughs> I, I was the only one. I was the only one that she knew who's where, the, where they were. Right. She had no other doors to knock on. Did you think you were getting lucky? No. No. I, no, I knew her. I knew her. But I, I came to the door and opened the door and went, Good! <laughs> Patricia! <laughs> She goes, don't ask. Don't ask. Did you give her a towel? <laughs> yeah, I gave her a towel, and then I gave her a t-shirt and some shorts so that she could go she could go, go over to the other side and get a new key because there was no office except for certain times, like a couple hours yeah. in, the new, in the new side. So. Well, you'll probably, every time you look at her, now you see that Oh, picture. it was hilarious, yeah. She was actually a good-looking girl. <laughs> ago we really walked through and looked to see that everyone had their seat belt fastened and these two ladies and these two ladies wouldn't fasten their seat belt and I told them you must fasten your seat belts so immediately they began blah 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 blah, blah in Spanish uh, saying rude and mean things to me and about me and as soon as they stopped I said to them in perfect Spanish I understood every word you said and what you called me. Now you have to fasten your seatbelt or we'll go back to the gate and take you off. <laughs> Sometimes being fluent in another language comes in handy, especially when people don't know that you're fluent. Yes. Like one day when I was in the purser position during the pre-flight briefing, all of the flight attendants were in there. I must have said something that one of the crew members didn't like because she began complaining about me to the girl sitting beside her. And in Spanish. In Spanish. But assuming that, you know, we, I didn't understand. So I didn't say anything to her. I let her go ahead and hang herself. We got on the airplane. Something else happened. Uh, she turned around and said something ugly about a customer. And so. I decided maybe it was time to let her know I spoke Spanish and so I began speaking to her in Spanish and she had the biggest oh shit look on her face because she knew that I had understood her in briefing. Ay caramba, oh ay caca, or literally mierda. <laughs> so are you, you're from the South? I am and so back in the day it costs 50 cents for a can of beer. And that's actually a good price. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to give someone back their change, and they'd given me a $10 bill. So I, I went to them, and I counted out the change. 
and they started making fun of my accent. They were from up north. And so they said, that's so cute. Won't you do Wow. They said, that's so cute. Won't you do it again? I said, sure. Different New York. Yeah. They said, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. I also do it in Spanish and French if you care to hear. <laughs> In 1991, after the merger, um, I was working in the office in New York, probably a couple months after uh, the initial uh, merger happened. They sent the first to new hires up to New York that, with a merged group. We had a very famous, infamous, infamous purser uh, named Johannes, and um, he was Dutch. The girls are all in the lounge kind of like sorority girls jumping up and down going what you know where have you been and this one girl says oh i just had my first trip to to uh across the pond my first international trip i got to go to amsterdam and they said well how was it and they, she said oh it was wonderful everything was great and how was the crew so well the crew was great but she said it's just one thing we didn't understand and we said what and she says well the purser kept making us call him your highness <laughs> And she had thought that Johannes had said, call me your highness. So for the whole flight, and he didn't, he didn't hear it uh, with his Dutch hearing or whatever. He just your let highness. it go, your highness, for the whole flight. A co-worker of mine actually emailed this to me, so this was very nice to her. She said, uh, you might enjoy this from one of my recent flights. In first class, we were serving a passenger the meal she ordered, which was chicken. She took a few bites and started crying, openly sobbing. I mean, just like making a scene. So my colleague and I tried to find out what the issue was. Her husband asked me to remove the tray with the chicken. He eventually told us that his wife is very animal sensitive and that the chicken looked too much like chicken. <laughs> Can't have your chicken look like chicken. Well, that's about it for this episode of Betty in the Sky with a Suitcase from my closet. <laughs> I hope you'll join me again next time so we can travel around the world together. Thanks. Bye. Bye.